get something from God's Word this morning. Thank you very much. Would you take your Bibles, turn to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. Appreciate you all being here today. It's no fun to preach to nobody. Sometimes I need to preach to myself, I'm sure, but uh, Ezra chapter 3. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin here today. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you so much for heaven and what a wonderful place it's going to be to see you face to face. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. Father, today I pray that you would get all the glory from every aspect of our lives. And Father, that through your word today, we would be able to give that glory to you and that we'd be able to focus on that today. We love you so much and we just pray that you uh, would do a work here in our hearts today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you this question this morning. What kind of emotion do you feel when I say this? The next generation. What kind of emotion do you feel when I say the next generation? Obviously, don't say it out loud. This is between you and God, all right? Do you feel excitement when you think of the next generation? Are you excited about what is coming up? Do you feel disgust as to, oh, the next generation? The terminology, the next generation, can give us all a different feeling. If you are older, maybe your attitude toward the next generation is disgust and frustration. Perhaps you maybe have an excitement about what the next generation has to offer. If you're younger and you are the next generation, you are the one to which when we say the next generation, you're the one who we're talking about, you maybe have feelings of frustration. Maybe you have feelings of anger or Maybe you as well are excited about what the future holds for you. What if I was to say this? The last generation. It all brings about some sort of emotion. When I say, for me, when I say the last generation, if you're older, perhaps you're thinking something like hardworking, amazing, wonderful, greatest generation. If you are younger, you might be filled with gratitude. Respect. Maybe you're filled with frustration or maybe even judgment. Listen, the point I'm trying to make this morning is that when we think about generational gaps, some of us have some very intense feelings. They can be feelings of gratitude or they can be feelings of frustration. The fact of the matter is this. Some of these emotions are good. Some of these emotions are bad. Let me ask you this question and again, Please don't answer it out loud. Which generation is right? Which generation is right? This generation that's going on right now or the last generation? Which generation is right? The correct answer is this. Neither. And the correct answer is also both. Both of them are correct and neither of them are correct because the reason for that is, is there were bad things about the last generation. If you're older than 55 here today, there are some bad things about your generation. And I'm going to stand here today in, in front of you and say there's some bad things about my generation. There's good things about my generation. There's wonderful things about your generation. 
The fact of the matter is there are truly good and bad in every generation. So let's ask this question. What's the problem? What's the problem? There is obviously a generational gap in our church, in our uh, society, and all throughout, I think, all throughout time, there has been a generational gap. Sometimes I don't think it's as stark a contrast as it is today, but we often see it. I see it all the time. I, I am a millennial, and I have been characterized as lazy and no good for anything. I have been characterized as not being able to show up on time and all kinds of different things that I have been characterized as. And I, I don't think I'm any of those things. But that's what I'm characterized as. I think the problem comes down to simply one word. Can I give you that one word this morning? That one word is simply expectation. It all comes down to expectation. Every generation has an expectation of the last generation, and every generation has an expectation of the next generation. Last generation has an expectation for the next to be just like them. Hey, especially when you think your generation was the greatest generation, you think, man, you need to be just like us, and I want to uh, make you to be just like us. There's an expectation, and then the next generation, my generation, has a, genera- has a expectation that you will allow me to be who I am. That you will allow me to be who God created me to be, who I want to be. I want you to understand that expectation is not necessarily a bad thing. Expectations are not necessarily a bad thing. They can be actually a good thing. However, expectations need to be placed properly. Expectations need to be placed properly. I want you to write this down if you're in the habit of writing things down. Every generation has a possession mentality. Every generation has a possession mentality. This is how it manifests itself. Maybe you've heard some of these sayings. Well, back in my day, your younger generation, you might say something like this. Well, this is not your day. This is my day. We declare ownership of our generations. I've already said it. My generation. Your generation. We declare ownership of our generation. Sometimes I think I will make what I want of my generation. Sometimes as an older generation, we think I want to hang on to some of the things that I had. Listen, these are all common things that go on in our lives, and we want to keep what we knew and what we grew up with, and I want to make my generation what it ought to be. I hope it's pretty obvious this morning that I'm planning on attacking the generational gap today. However, I would like to attack it from a different angle, one that I've never heard of before. I want to preface the entire message with this. If any of you walk out of this building saying, yeah, the next generation ought to, or the older generation ought to, I'm going to tell you right now, you missed the point. If you walk out of this room today and thinking about someone else beside yourself, you have missed the point of the message. This message is not about someone else. This message is about you personally. 
So let's look at Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says this, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What an exciting time. And then you get to verse 12. But, but many of the priests and the Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. But the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. Talk about confusion. There's weeping and there's shouts of joy. There's weeping and wailing. One is weeping and, and wailing and sorrowful and the other is jumping up and down in praise to God. Joyful and weeping. How in the world could there ever be such a stark contrast? How in the world could there ever be such a stark contrast in rebuilding the temple of God? Yet here we see this contrast. How could there be such a divide as joy and sorrow in one single event? Let me give you the answer. I've already given it to you. The answer is simply expectation. The answer is simply expectation. You see, the younger group had never seen the temple of Solomon. They'd never seen it before. They had never seen the ornate, intricate details. They had not seen how extravagant or how grandiose it was. Their expectation was literally a goose egg. They had no expectation. They had only heard maybe stories of what it used to be, but they had no expectation. They were looking at rubble. I've seen pictures of that time, and it looks as if, I mean, it's just completely decimated. You see renderings of it, and it's just, how can you even tell what anything is? It's just rubble, yet here they are standing in front of the foundation being laid. And so their only expectation was moving forward. Their only expectation was something spectacular. They were excited about the future. It was a future expectation. Now the older group had seen the wonder of the Temple of Solomon. They knew how wonderful and amazing it was. They understood the grandeur. They understood the immensity of what the Solomon's temple was. And this, this puny little skeleton of a building was nothing in comparison to it. They looked at this and perhaps just, what do you think that is? That's nothing. They wept because it did not meet their expectation of what the temple ought to look like. No doubt that was discouraging. No doubt that was discouraging to the older people and no doubt that was discouraging to the younger generation. 
You see, joy and sorrow were equal in this story. They were equally as loud and they were equally as deep. Now, your first instinct as a younger person would be this, to justify what you've just built. Hey, hey, take it easy, old guys. Hey, just take it easy a minute. We've, we've, we're building something here. Well, it's better than it was the last 50 years, we would say. At least we have something to which the older generation would reply something to this effect, but it's just not the same. It's just not what it used to be. It's just not what we expected. It's not the same representation of our God that we used to have. Have you noticed by now what the focus is? You see, so many times we as generations, we focus on the wrong thing. And here in this story, do you see what they're focusing on? They're focusing on the temple. They're focusing on a physical building. The focus is on the temple itself and its representation of God. I want you to understand the younger group was excited. Because now, again, after 50 years, there was a representation of God in Jerusalem again. Something that had been so long sought after. The older generation was sorrowful because it wasn't the same representation that it was before. Their focus is on the physical temple. Don't shut me off yet. Go to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. Keep your finger there in Ezra. Haggai chapter 2. Give you a little bit of extra time to find that one. Haggai chapter 2. Now I want you to understand this is a few years later. This is not in the same time period, but it refers back to this moment. Haggai chapter 2. The Bible says this in verse 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, look at this, verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Who is there left that saw the house in its first glory, in its former glory? Let's finish. And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing. Keep your finger here because we're going to come back here in Haggai. But I want you to understand this. These older generational people were looking at the temple and going, this is actually nothing. They were going back to their houses and they were getting together in their houses with all the other older people. And they're like, what do you guys think about this? It's not very big. It's not very ornate. It's not something that we really think uh, that is a good representation of our God. And they begin to despise it and re really see it as if it was nothing. They had seen what wonder, what glory, how amazing Solomon's temple was. They had seen it with their own eyes. But again, the focus was on the physical glory of the temple. The physical glory of the temple, I am ready now to give you the title of today's message. I had named it the generation of rebuilding. 
I changed it after study. I'm going to give you the title, and it is this, The Glory of Rebuilding. The Glory of Rebuilding. Every one of us wants to glory in the spiritual rebuilding process. Let me say that again. Every one of us wants to glory in the spiritual rebuilding process. We want to look at our efforts and be satisfied with the outcome that is equal or greater than what it used to be. I'll give you an, a for instance. When I worked on the farm, I loved working on the farm because you could look back at your day and say, look at what I've accomplished. There were many days when we would build fence. You know what's a wonderful thing about building fences? You can count exactly how many fence posts you put in in a day. It was, it was a ton of fun. You could look back and you could glory in that. We had done more than we did the day previous. If we did one more, we did more than the day previous. Because yesterday is over, today is a new day, and there's one more fence post. We want to glory in those things. And undoubtedly, when you do something and start to rebuild in your life, there will always be someone who says it isn't good enough. There will always be someone who says that. There will always be a downer, a Debbie Downer. Always. There will always be someone who says and looks down their nose and says something like this, well, when I was your age, I already had accomplished that and ten other things. People say that. Without realizing it, all of us, Every generation has placed our focus and our expectations on what the building looks like. The younger generation has focused on what the building looks like. The older generation has focused on what the building looks like. I want you to understand this. With this mentality, we miss the mark on what really matters in every generation. A lot of times we get caught up in the physical glory of something. We get caught up in, if you will, the methods. We get caught up in the visible results that we forget about the glory that actually matters. Let me illustrate. Years and years of, of my life, I have heard about what the 1950s and the 1960s were like in church. Maybe even in the, into the 1980s and how wonderful it was and how, I mean, bus routes were just packed with people and there were thousands of people coming to church and it just seemed like there was uh, so much going on and then we look around at our day and we look at COVID-19. We see how many people are coming to church and we see the split services and we see all these things and I want you to understand that when you hear how wonderful it used to be and we look at what we currently have, I want you to understand this just purely from a physical aspect. We look at this and we are depressed. A lot of times you hear things like, well, back in my day. Well, it used to be Listen, I'm not trying to scold anyone for that. All I'm trying to say is our focus is wrong. Let me ask you this. What is the glory that really matters? What is the glory that really matters? Well, let's have some fun and let's do a little bit of a Bible study today. I want to do a Bible study on the temple of God and glory. Let's go to 2 Chronicles with me. 2 Chronicles. I'll try to make this as exciting as possible. 
Second Chronicles, book before Ezra. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Solomon, in this passage, had received the command of God to build the temple of God. David was the one who wanted to get it going, but God said, no, to David, you cannot do that. I'm going to have your son Solomon build it. He is the chosen one to do this. He begins the work and does an absolutely incredible job. It is glorious inside and out. Solomon finished the temple, finishes the temple, and he begins dedicating it to God. And notice what happens with me in verse 1 of chapter 7. The Bible says this. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Watch this now. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Verse 2, and the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people ordered sacrifices before the Lord, and it continues. I want you to understand this this morning, that yes, Solomon's temple was undoubtedly beautiful. Ornate, it had gold linings everywhere, and I mean, everything was made of gold. It was just absolutely beautiful, physically. It was physically glorious, but the only glory that mattered was the glory of the Lord in that place. Let me say that one more time. The only glory that mattered was not the physical representation of that building. The only glory that mattered, the glory that made people bow down in worship, the glory that made people fear in reverence was the glory of the Lord being upon that place. That was the only thing that mattered. Write it down. The only glory that matters is the glory of the Lord. The only glory that matters is the glory of the Lord. You can physically rebuild your life, and you can become amazing at what you do. You look across our world today, and you can look at wonderful CEOs and people that have helped amazing, done amazing things and helped people and done all kinds of things. They've rebuilt their life, and you look at them and say, how did they do that? We think it's amazing. You can have amazing things. You can have a huge house. You can have amazing cars. You can have all kinds of wonderful physical things. But I want you to understand this. None of that matters. And so often, we as people, we look amongst ourselves and we compare ourselves amongst ourselves and we say, well, he has that and she's got that and I want that and I'm jealous because of the physical things that they have. I want you to understand this. The only thing that matters is the glory of the Lord. I want you to notice something else with me. Go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. This is the same temple. Solomon's temple, Jeremiah chapter 7. Look with me in verse 1. The Bible says this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah. That enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. 
Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Should have noticed that first phrase, Trust ye not in lying words. Let's jump down to verse 8. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Basically saying, listen, you're saying, look, it's the temple, it's the temple, but we can do whatever we want in there. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go ye now into my place, which was in Shiloh, very important here, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and under the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. Again, I want to remind you this is the same temple. This is Solomon's ornate, beautiful, wonderful temple. But something was missing. The same thing that was missing in Shiloh. What was missing in Shiloh? Shiloh was the place that the tabernacle was placed. Now the tabernacle is the movable temple of God. It was for many years left in Shiloh, but Israel began to do wickedly. We're having a Bible study, so let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4, and let's find out what happened in Shiloh. The Bible says this in verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 4. Watch this now. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Now, time does not permit me to go through this entire story, but suffice it to say this God's glory was taken away in Shiloh. The glory of God was taken from the tabernacle. The glory was taken away from the temple that Solomon had built. They had lived their lives the way that they wanted to. Oh, the temple was still perfectly constructed. The temple was still beautiful. The temple was still there. It was still a representation of God. Yet they were living their lives the way that they wanted to. Because they were living their lives the way that they wanted to, God said, I am taking my glory away. It didn't matter if they were amazing structures. It only mattered that the glory of God was in that place. Again, if you're writing things down, write this down. Don't get caught up in physical glory. Don't get caught up in physical glory. Get caught up in the glory of God. Don't get caught up in the physical glory. Get caught up in the glory of God. Here's the great news. The story's not over. Go to Haggai chapter 2. I left 
off in verse 3. Basically saying, look at this in comparison, it is nothing, verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you. When he came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. What house? Not the house of Solomon, but this house that they're building in Ezra. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Watch this, verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. I want you to understand this. It did not matter the size of the temple. It did not matter the physical aspects of the temple. The only thing that mattered was that the glory of God was present. Let me draw a conclusion and hopefully an application. As we look at generational gaps, and as we look at different generation and the differences and the things that annoy you and the things that frustrate you and the things that excite you and the things that are just wonderful and you're thankful for, can we please stop looking at physical expectations? I'm begging you to please stop looking at physical expectations. Can we quit trying to make people just like us? The greatest harm I can do to my children is to make them just like me. Lord knows the world can't handle more than one of me. So that's the worst thing I could do. Can we quit trying to get the other generations to hear me, to see our glory? I came to an amazing realization the other day. I have lived my entire life trying to please people older than me. As I grew up, I was trying to please my parents. When I began going to college and working at college, I was trying to please my professors. When I came to church, I was trying to please all the people that were older than me. I have spent my life trying to please people older than me. Listen, I am wrong. I am wrong. Can we quit trying to get other generations to see our glory? Can we just strive for the glory of God? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 34, 31, excuse me, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The thing that is going to close the generational gap is simply rejoicing in the glory of the Lord. Older generation, let me ask this, is God glorified 
with the generation that is coming up behind you? That's the only question you need to ask. Is God glorified with the generation that is coming up behind you? Younger generation, the only question that you need to ask is this. Is God glorified with the lives of those who came before me? Is God glorified with the lives of the generation of those who came before me? That's the only question we need to ask. That's the only focus we ought to have. That ought to be our goal. It's easy to lose sight of this between generations. We often only see the good in our generation. We never see the bad. The older generation probably has forgotten that they had lived quite some time without the glory of God in the temple. They had forgotten that in Jeremiah chapter 7, before they were exiled, God removed his glory. They had forgotten that God's glory was no longer in the temple. All they were doing was looking at the physical. No matter how significant your work, no matter how much you've done in your life, it is nothing without the glory of God. Again, if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Glorifying God is different for each person in each generation. I'm going to say that again. You need to understand that. Glorifying God is different for each person in each generation. Let me illustrate. God received the glory from Abraham, who, guess what, was different than Moses. Who, guess what, was different than David. And who, guess what, was different from Solomon. And who, guess what, was different from Mary and Joseph. And guess what? They were different from Paul, who was different from Barnabas, who was different from Peter, who was different than John the Apostle, who was different from John the Baptist. They were all different. They all had different roles. They all had different things that they were to accomplish in their life. But they had one thing in common. They glorified the Lord. Obviously, I want you to understand this, they did not sacrifice doctrine. And we will not sacrifice doctrine. But glorifying God looks different for each and every person. That looks different from me to Pastor Stone. You realize that, right? We're very similar in so many ways. But me glorifying God with my life is different than Pastor Stone glorifying God with his life. That looks different from dad to Caleb. That looks different from my dad to me. Instead of rebuilding to glorify yourself or glorifying another generation or glorifying someone else in your life, can I challenge you with this? Rebuild your life to glorify God. Some of you may not know how to glorify God. Some of you may not understand how. I want you to understand that if you do not know the first step, the first step is simply to become his child. Accept him as your personal savior. Believe that you are a sinner that you deserve to go to hell. Believe that Jesus came to this earth as the Son of God to pay the penalty of sin for you. 
Believe that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ conquered the penalty of sin by raising again from the, from the dead after the third day. The Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When a person comes to know Christ, guess who's glorified? God. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repented. Let me simply ask this final question. I said it was about you. Don't walk away from this message without thinking about yourself. Who is getting the glory from your life? Who is getting the glory from your life? It's a simple question. It's one every one of us ought to answer. If we look at ourselves and we say, well, my parents would be proud of me. Wrong glory. If you say, well, my older generation is happy with me. Wrong glory. My church is the same as it was uh, 2,000 years ago. Wrong glory. My God. My God gets the glory. That ought to be our answer. Listen, it changes. It's all different. It's different for every single person. It's different for every generation. The only thing that's going to close a generation that judges another generation is when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we put it on God and say, no more with this physical glory. Only the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can even talk about your glory. Father, before these people and before you today, I want to apologize for having the wrong focus in my life for so many years. Trying to please people. Forgive me. Because that does not matter. The only thing that matters is glorifying you. And Father, that's going to look different for me, for each person in this room, and for each person that listens. I'm so excited that we even have the opportunity to glorify you. Father, if there's one here today that does not know you as personal Savior, has never become your child, then I pray that today they would know that. Father, you would be glorified in that. Pray that every single one of us, no matter what generation we fall into, it doesn't matter. Pray that every single one of us would glorify you in whatsoever we do. We pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed.